G'day everyone. Uh, yeah, my name's Russ. If I haven't yet had the pleasure of meeting you, I'd love to catch up afterwards. Um, we're reading today from Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 18. So I'll give you a moment to, to track that down in your Bibles. Radio. So Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labour in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jeff. Uh, if you haven't got a Bible with you, please uh, get one. If you have, keep it open there at that passage we just read out for Philippians. Uh, there's Bibles up the back. Uh, they're our gift to you. If you haven't got one, grab one. Put your name in the front of it. It's yours. Please. Uh, I want to just start by... Um, Actually, just a bit of a niggle into your trivial brain. Uh, see if you can tell me well, at the end of this quote, or at least where this quote comes from. I'll give you a bit of a hint. You'll have to think back to the 90s. For some of you, that might be impossible. For others, it might not. And so, I want you to think about the 90s. Think about a movie in the 90s. We're not goons. We're not bullies. No matter what people say or do, we have to be ourselves. And we're going to stick together. You know why? Can anyone finish that? Because we're ducks and ducks fly together. Gordon Bombay, the mighty ducks. How do you motivate a people to unite, striving together towards a goal? How do you rouse them? How do you get them onto the same path, having the same mindset? It's easy to read the book of Philippians and to see that it is a book of love, of joy, 
of encouragement, but Paul didn't write the book of Philippians in a vacuum. He did have a purpose. There is instruction in there as well. There are troubles in Philippi. Now, they're not spectacular troubles, like the ones we see in Corinthians or Galatians. They're subtle, but they're just as serious. Paul's concern for the Philippians is that they live a life worthy of the gospel, as we saw last week. That they strive together for the faith of the gospel. And to be unified, to be as one, you need to have that common goal. And the problem in Philippi is that, well, it's the problem for all of us. There is a universal problem of the heart. It's the problem of pride or hubris. I like the word hubris. I only discovered it a couple of years ago. It's, uh, it's an old-fashioned word, but it's becoming a little bit more popular these days. Hubris means excessive pride. It's like a cancer in our hearts that rises up. It's self-exaltation, self-promotion, individualism. See, I'm encouraged when I read Philippians as well as any other letter in the New Testament that we're not given pictures of perfect churches. We're given instruction from churches that had their own issues. Don't you find that encouraging? Sometimes I wonder, you know, you feel like your life's unravelling at times and things are chaotic and you wonder why other people seem to have it all together. And then someone reveals something to you or you turn up at someone's place but unexpected and there's clothes and toys everywhere and you realise, oh no, this is normal. I'm not all that bad. Maybe this is just how it is. If, uh, if the New Testament was full of books to churches saying, well done guys, keep going, what would we do when issues arise for us? It's like a parent-teacher interview where you see the parents you don't really need to see and you sit there for 10 minutes saying, have you got any questions? Because little Johnny's doing fine. Now, we have these books, we have these letters to encourage us as well as to instruct us. And Paul's instruction here, his concern here is pride because it's the enemy of unity and it's a personal problem. It's not a problem with leadership, it's a problem for everyone. Have a look with me now at chapter 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. There's that hubris, that pride rising up. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. See who Paul's addressing? I think he's got a bit of tongue-in-cheek here when he says, have you got any encouragement from being united with Christ? Have you got any comfort from the love of the Father? Have you got any 
fellowship with each other? Have you got anything of these benefits given to you by God? If you do, listen up. This instruction is for you. It's for all of you. I want you to be unified. You'll notice in verse 2 that the mind comes up. Unified as one in mind and purpose. See, Paul wants them unified, but he doesn't want a mindless unity. To be unified in to go together with one mind in like-mindedness, you need to be able to decide what it is that you're binding yourselves around, what it is that is true, what it is that you're going to have as the core. Thinking is important. Discussing things, looking at God's word for the truth is important. It is what should be the core of our unity. We don't strive for unity for unity's sake and often this happens within Christian circles is we we want unity and the goal is unity and so we unify around unity. And when we do that, we find these little bits of truth to wrap around our unity and it's it's like getting dressed in cling wrap. Have you ever dressed yourself in cling wrap? Walked outside? What's the problem with that? People see through it. That's our issue. If you have unity as the core and you wrap some truth around it, people see through it. Because we know that as soon as we actually start thinking through and speaking about the things that we think are the core, suddenly everything dissipates. No, we have unity around the truth. And we find the truth in the Word of God. That's why churches have statements of belief. That's why WEC has a statement of belief. It's so that when you come here and you join us, you can look at our statements, you can look at God's Word, and you can say, yes, I'm unified with that. I can bind myself to that. It's really important because thoughts and attitudes are the basis of speech and action. And so they direct the course of our lives. What happens in our minds, the things that we bind ourselves to, our attitudes direct our speech and our actions. And they take us on a certain course. And so Paul wants the Philippians to be like-minded, to be of one mind. And it's all based in truth. But the unity is going to come at cost. The cost is personal. It's the cost of yourself. Did you notice that? Down chapter 2, verse 3, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. If you're going to be unified around the truth, then you're going to need to die to yourself. Value others above yourself. See others as more significant than you. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. It's not talking about hobbies and music likes. No, it's more broad than that. Interests, a better translation might be things. Look to your own things, but see the things of others as more important to you. What would such humility look like in a church? What would it look like to walk through those doors 
and decide this person's more significant than I am today. I value you more than me. The things going on in your life are more important to me at the moment than the things going on in mine. I'm going to sit down next to someone and I want them to get that sense. I want them to walk out those doors feeling like they are valued, that they are significant, that the things that they're going through are important to me. What would it look like for a church to act like that? And thinking more broadly, any door you walk through, what would it look like for you to walk through the door at home and to think, the people in this house are more significant than me. They're more valuable to me than myself. Their things are more important to me than the things that I have. I will die to myself. I'll give up myself in order for their best interests. We saw that last week with Paul, didn't we? What was his conundrum? I want to be with Christ. It's better. But for your progress and joy, I want to stay here. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to give up myself, my interests, because you're more valuable. This is, this is the goal of church for us in our relationships. To sit and to listen to each other. To sit and to pray for each other. To sit and to remind each other of the truths of God's word within the different moments of life. Looking for those opportunities. Not looking for opportunities to speak, but looking for opportunities to listen. Not walking into conversations in order to have something get done. How many of our conversations are more operational than relational? I know that's uh, something that I struggle with. What is your mindset as you walk through a door? That's what Paul's asking us. Do you think of others as better than yourself? Do you value others above yourself? And often you can tell your mindset that you walk through a door with by the way you leave that door. How do you leave church? Do you leave thinking... Gee, I wish that someone would value me. I wish someone would listen to me. I wish someone would talk to me, ask me how I'm going. I don't want to be here. You see the problem with that? I know that's raw for some people. It's very easy to walk out of church with that thought. But who's at the centre of that thought? I am. What if I was to walk into church thinking I want others to be valued? I want to talk to others. I'm going to put myself out for others. I wonder how that would change. How do we get motivated for that? Gordon Bombay's little quote that he got the Mighty Ducks to rise up and defeat those bullies from Iceland is not going to work, is it? 
We don't need to be ourselves to stick together. What does Paul do for us? He gives us this amazing picture of what Christ has done for us. Read with me from verse 5. Your attitude or your mindset, some versions would say, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, it is believed that this section here in Philippians was an old hymn. Uh, it's not definite, but they, they think that it was an old hymn sung in churches. It's called a, the Kenoptic Hymn. It comes from the word kenosis, which means emptying. Jesus emptied himself. He lay aside his glory and his exaltation. God from all time, the creator of all things, the one who is eternally praised and worshipped, emptied himself of that glory. He lay it aside and he chose humiliation. God the Son went through a profound change. There's actually no comparison that we can make to give us a picture of this properly. Everything will fall short. He changed his form. He did not change his substance. God the Son didn't cease to be God when he came to earth. He emptied himself of his glory. He didn't empty himself of his godness. He took on the form of a human, the form of a man. And Jesus' humiliation wasn't just the cross. That was the pinnacle. His humiliation, as we saw at the kids' talk, started with his birth. From being the richest of beings to living in poverty, born in a manger, around animals. His parents could only afford the doves as a sacrifice, showing how poor they were. Further, he was humiliated as he started his ministry. Those who should know him, mocking him, calling him a blasphemer, looking for reasons to put him to death. People laughing at him when he told them that he could raise the dead. Here is the creator being mocked willingly going through humiliation. One of his closest followers, or one of his close followers, betraying him with a kiss, being strung up on the cross as a criminal. The tree was seen as a curse in Jewish culture, being cursed by God. Such was Jesus' humiliation. 
And friends, I haven't even scratched the surface. From birth to the cross, Jesus willingly humiliated himself. He willingly lowered himself. And through his humiliation came his exaltation. You see the pattern? Exalted, humiliated, exalted. And he's given the name Lord. That's the name that's above every name. That's the name that everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord. He is ruler. He is king. He is sovereign. There is no one higher than him. Can you see the heart of God? There is no hubris in God. There is no pride in God. God's heart is a humble one. And we see this, we get a glimpse of this if you quickly turn with me to Matthew 11, a very famous passage. This is, uh, Spurgeon pointed out, this is the only time in all four Gospels that we are actually revealed God's heart or Jesus' heart to us. Come to me, all you who are weary, verse 28 of chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? What is he? Gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A humble God. What does that humility mean for us? It means he's approachable, doesn't it? If he was a God who was tyrannical, if he was a proud God, we could not approach him. He's a humble God. His humility is seen in action. We have an unimaginably good God who descends to save us, who is approachable who calls us to lay our burdens on him rather than us being burdened by him, serving him, trying to appease him. No, come and lay your burdens on me, says Jesus. Was Jesus obedient? Absolutely. To the Father's will? Yes. To the glory of God? Yes. But also see that he values you. He sees you as significant. He sees your need as important. So much so that he willingly takes your place, lays down his life in your place, so that you can have peace with God, so that you can be saved on that last day. The cross shows us the glory of God as well as God's great love us. Charles Wesley, in his, uh, one of his famous hymns, which I, I think is almost one of my favourites, And Can It Be, he tried to capture this uh, emptying of Jesus and this salvation that we have through it. This is one of the verses from And Can It Be. If you haven't heard the song, uh, it's on Spotify. I think the mandate, Stuart Townsend, it's a great version. Um, if I collapse suddenly and die, this is what I want at my funeral, right? So this is, 
this is how he tried to capture this idea of Jesus emptying himself. He left his throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me. Has it found you out, God's mercy? Does that ring in your heart, his free grace to you, come through the emptying of himself, the pouring out of his blood, of his life for you? This is the motivation to humility. This is the reason to give up pride and hubris. This is what takes us from that place to a place of unity around truth. And so the rest of Paul's instruction, verse 12 to 18, is to imitate this Christ. Imitate him in his obedience. As you've always obeyed, he says to the Philippians, not only now, but much more in my absence. Live a life worthy of the gospel. That's the same as saying, work out your salvation. Let's not sit there and wonder, if it, am I actually saved? That's not what Paul's saying. Picture you get some dough and you've got to knead it and work it so it's ready. That's what he's saying. You knead and you work the dough until it's ready. You work your salvation until it's completion. And this is a lifelong process. And as you work it, it's God's hand on yours working. He's giving you the ability to live out your salvation. Live a life worthy of the gospel. Because if you're a child of God, you resemble him. You have his resemblance in you. People should see the difference. And markedly in your humility. There's no room for grumbling. There's no room for arguing. We don't see that in Christ at all. Imagine if Christ came and the whole time he was telling his disciples, do you realise what I'm about to do for you? I wish I didn't have to do it. Can't believe I got asked to do this for you. His heart is so different to ours, isn't it? Humility shines. Actions Make room for words. As you live in humility, you will be seen as different. Some people might see you as a pushover. They don't know what's going on. What's the motive? What's the motive is you're laying down your life. You're not a pushover. It doesn't matter what they think. You lay down your life. Death to self, live for Christ. And you hold out. And some versions would say to hold on to or hold out the word of life, I would say yes to both. Hold on to God's word, hold out God's word, so that others may know this humble God that we have come to know. And pour your life out. Jesus poured his life out for us. Paul talks about pouring his life out for the Philippians. He talks about it in terms of, what's it, verse 17? Verse 17. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering 
on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. A drink offering, an insignificant hiss as it touches the altar. That's how Paul saw his life. If I'm being poured out, what does it matter? If I'm being wrung dry in service of you, I'm pleased. I'm an insignificant hiss. Of what comparison is that to what Christ has done for me? And as I pour myself out, and we see this in the life of Paul in this letter to the Philippians, as he pours himself out, is he ever empty? He's never empty. He pours himself out and his cup is always full. And that's what God calls us to in Christ. Thinking of others is more significant than ourselves. Looking to other people's things above ours. Because that's God's attitude towards us through Christ. The humble king, the servant king, who poured himself out for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your great love. We praise you that your love is not dependent upon us and how we make you feel, but it's a love that you willingly choose to give to us because you are a good God. We praise you that in your great love you sent your Son, and Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you willingly came. You emptied yourself. You emptied yourself of your glory and your exaltation. You suffered the humiliation that we could never fully grasp. In obedience to the Father's will and because of the great love for which you have for us. And you call us to walk in your ways. Please help us today, help us throughout this week to look for ways to pour ourselves out for others to put their interests above our own, to see them as more significant than us. And we pray that you would work this through us as we seek to work, kneading out that dough of our faith so that we may bring glory to you and we may be fully content and satisfied in Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen.